Hey all, and welcome to Push and Talk, part of the Geek Peaks family. I am Frank. I'm sitting in for Squeaks as he is working that over time. I'm luckily visited by Jeff Haas, comic book creator. Jeff, how you doing? Doing very well. How about yourself, sir? Doing good. Busy as always, but that's a good thing to do. That's good. <laughs> exactly. Very good. <laughs> so, uh, how long have you been writing comic books? Yeah, I've been writing um, for about eight or nine years. <laughs> it kind of ages me up a bit, but eight or nine years now. And now, do you do your own artwork, or are you just writing, or, or how, how involved are you? Um, I am. I'm the writer, usually creator of most of my comic books. Sometimes co-creator, mm-hmm. um, sometimes just scripter. But at the moment, for the comic books that we'll be discussing, uh, creator and slash writer. Okay. I wish I could be the artist, but I can't. <laughs> oh well, and I was wondering that because they they have this different art style. Um, so I was I was interested in that. How how involved are you with the art style? Are you going step by step, or is it kind of like here's my vision, and then they kind of check with you a few times, and then they run with it? Um, I, I go full script version, um, basically panel by panel. Um, I try my best to describe what I want to see, but I will say in most instances, the artist has full latitude to develop their own ideas and their own creation. And quite a few times they input something that I didn't think about. And I will say most artists have a very good uh, visual sense and they tend to make something better than I considered. But um, I usually go with script and then let the artist um, use their imagination to go from there. Yeah sort of the benefit of, help, of working with others that, you know, you get that other perspective and you're like, oh yeah, we could improve that way. So that's, that's great that you're exactly. open to working with exactly. And I, and I really think artists are just inherently better visually than mm-hmm. a writer tends to be and better with their style as well. I mean, they know this is what I do better. I, this is my best, um, I'm better at this angle or this style and you can just, you know, some speak, you know, the best they yeah. can. Yeah. And, and they'll, they'll interpret the work and stuff like that and give their own look and, um, I'm excited. We'll talk about those soon, but we'll, I'm excited to talk about the two comic books you brought with us today. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, but let's talk about you first. Uh, okay. we're, we're, the two comic books we're working on, or we're looking at today, we have Malik. Is that how I'm saying that right? right? Malik, yeah, Raining uh, Devil? Malik, Raining Devil, exactly. Okay. And then another word, actually, I want to get real quick before we go too much farther, is his title is, is it Mashit? Yeah, it, um, Mashit. Yep. Yeah, uh, Hamashit. He, the Destroying Hamash- Angel. Exactly. Okay. That is a very cool title. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then the other work we're, we're talking about is Santa Claus. Um, it is not the Santa Claus you're anticipating. So just get no, the heads up on that. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> uh, where did the idea, the inspiration for these two projects come from? All right. Um, I think the best one I'll start with is Santa Claus. Because Santa Claus, is, though it came out much later than uh, Malik did, it actually was the idea that has been around first. Um, the idea for Santa Claus is probably about seven or eight years old. Uh, it came from, ever seen Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, yeah. The, the, the scene where he's trying to describe Santa Claus, he's like, Sandy Claus. I was like, yeah. son of a bitch, that's a style. That's a, that's a title right there. I'm yeah. making a character. That's the character. And that's kind of where he came from. So um, I, I had nod to the people, uh, Tim Burton and the, and the people behind uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. But yeah, I, uh, I I guess I got ripped off a, a style of a name, I guess. Inspired. Um, that's the word. Inspired, inspired by yes. it. <laughs> An homage to a great idea. Yeah. Um, for Malik Running Devil, basically, I, I answered an ad from 123Go Publishing. Uh, Phoebe Xavier was, um, was the one who owns the company. And she was looking for a eight-page uh, backup story for their uh, anthology series called uh, Gunmetal Black Ops. Mm-hmm. And it could be any story you wanted, as long as it had to do with guns. Um, and I was like, well, I thought about it for a little while and decided, well, an angel with guns is a gun. So 
and I and I kind of started. I kind of came with the backstory, like what he's going to do with this gun. What can I say in eight pages that will say everything I want to say and all my ideas? So I kicked the idea around for about forty-eight hours, and I came up with uh, Malik and uh, his backup story. Are those eight pages in the the first issue? Uh, no, there there's there's a preview in the inside front cover of what those um, pages were about. Basically, in a nutshell, it was um, Malik being assigned by God to kill Lucifer in hell. Oh, so prequel to it. Yes. So basically, to kill Lucifer, he had to give up his um, divinity, um, had to give up his wings, um, and basically do something so horrible that would cause, cause him to end up in hell, which was killing a brother angel um, uh, without cause. He basically sort of went behind one of, one of the fellow angels that was assigned to him to kill. Killed him um, behind the, behind his back. Immediately went to hell. Wings burned off. He was damned to hell forever for doing that, which is what leads into Malik Raining Devil. Okay. We're going to dive into those stories soon. Um, but is it is interesting to see that because when you're reading the first issue of, of Malik, you you learn the by context clues what had happened, but it'd be nice to kind of, it's good to see yeah. like, oh, this is where it started. Okay. That's good. Exactly. There's some plan later on to try to do, uh, once the six issues are done for Malik, and a couple of the uh, minis are done as well to publish it as one big, um, uh, one big comic book uh, trade. And you'd have the eight-ish pages that technically are important to the story that is kind of missing <laughs> from the first issue. Well, you pick it up, and it's always nice to have that kind of like mystery of like, why is he here? What is what right. is his mission? And picking it up that way, so it works well. Um, are these your first two comics? What comics have you worked on before this? All right. Um, before this, I worked on a four-issue miniseries called The Nightmare Patrol. Uh, I wrote that actually with my father, uh, Bruce Haas. Um, it's about uh, four monsters, uh, him or horror monsters, a werewolf, a golem, a witch, um, and a vampire that are brought together by the government uh, to stop an even worse evil. Um, I wrote a, a graphic, uh, well, it was a, um, I guess a graphic novel, uh, volume one of a comic book called Sanctus about a, um, a plague um, and a necromantic pope. And it was, it was a whole, it's a very complicated story that uh, yeah. I wrote for um, Arcana back in the day that I'm still trying to get the second volume done, but it's you know expensive as writer's life tends to be. And then I wrote a few comic books for a company called Crystal Fractals. Uh, one was called Entropy, another was called Dr. Twilight. And then there's been a few other anthology stuff here and there. So I- I'm getting the vibe of, of these, you know, kind of like almost heavy metal stories. Yes throughout your, your past uh anything from your past work this influenced these two um you know what it, it, it probably would be I, I probably the guy probably would be insulted if i said this was the connect it was kind of to something like his great work neil gaiman salmon is a comic book series i love i mean it's so far yeah. advanced of what i'm doing so i feel almost insulting saying he influenced me he might be like son of a bitch no he didn't but um something like um it's the series lucifer by mike carey and before that the yeah. sandman by neil gaiman was influences in a very real way to the style of Malik. And if you read um, some of the issues around um, with when Lucifer appeared around uh, issue 20 or so, um, mm-hmm. I think can't remember the name of that. It's a season of mist. You'll get some idea of what I was thinking about. Um, Santa Claus is more of every Christmas movie I've ever seen and thought to myself, this is wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where did all these elves come from? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> that's, just, that's one question you should be asking yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's funny you bring up Sandman. I actually uh, one of the scenes where um, I think it's it's like Constantine is there, Lucifer is there, a few a few yep. of the heavy hitters, and they're talking uh, uh, to the soldiers of hell essentially. 
there's a panel where they're attacking the gate of, I want to say his name is Oz or Ooze. Does that sound yes. familiar? Oh. That scene, I was like, this feels much like that. You know, it feels like <laughs> yes. the armies of hell are at your door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm sure like every good writer has been influenced by stories that I can't remember that I have read, but I know that they're there somewhere back in my head. Right. I mean, I couldn't, I, I can obviously give nods to Dante's Inferno, a divine comedy that um, inspired as well the soil and some my sense of the different levels and circles of hell. Mm-hmm. But I'm sure there's many other uh, Paradise Lost is probably another one as well, the novel um, as John Milton. But I'm sure a lot of it comes from just those everything you read and watch in your lifetime as a writer has yeah. a little nugget back in the, your brain that you just accessed and you probably don't even know that you did. But it's there on the page somewhere for someone who probably may know it. They they form who you are as a creator and a person. So exactly. it's understandable that, you know, the interests that you grew up with, that you've listened to, that have, you know, gravitated you towards this career are going to influence your work. And that's how it is for everybody, you know. Exactly. You know. Um, so say you're somebody who's wanting to start a comic book and they're looking at Jeff like, hey, Jeff, how do I do what you do? What would you say is your, your initial steps into becoming a comic book creator? Find a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> right? It, it's gonna, know it's somebody be, at DC or Marvel. <laughs> right. It's going to be financially extremely expensive. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is, it's, it's sometimes it seems like the only person not making money on a project is the writer. <laughs> but in a real way, the best way to get started, um, first thing to do is read a lot. Um, don't be beholden to one genre. Don't be beholden to one medium. Don't just read comic books. That's not enough read novels, short stories, um, plays, even if you don't think it's connected, uh, Shakespeare. I mean, just anything you can get your hands on, read it, no matter what type of genre it is. It helps you. Everything you read helps you. Um, And then there's no good way to come up with a great idea, but try it. Think about what you want to say. There's got to be, everyone has a philosophy of their life. Everyone has some idea that they live their life by or something they want to say something a voice in which they want to speak it in right mm-hmm. figure out what that is and then think about the best way to say it within a story it, it may be um allegorically it may be um using um you know a lot of symbolism whatever you want to do to try to translate that idea into an actual plot and story and character but it's there think about it it's, it's not gonna be easy it could be weeks months a year almost years thing of trying to break the right idea but Take the time, do it until something hits you and say, I have to tell this story. When you get to that point, sit down, start writing. Okay. Even if it's do you bad. have, yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm the kind of person who, who's got post-it notes everywhere of different ideas <laughs> and stuff like that. Are you that kind of a post-it note scrap paper kind of guy? I, I will say, um, luckily, um, with the iPhone, it has that little notes, that little, oh, yes. little note feature. And I will say that many times, um, that my students have had extra work because an idea popped in my head and I'm on notes trying to type out <laughs> like, Oh crap, I need, I need to get that down on paper. I'd be like, everyone focus on your uh, homework a little early today, five minutes left, do your homework. I'm sitting there like texting my notes, trying to like, I have a, have a good hit me. Uh, probably not the best thing to say um, as a teacher, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's a lot of teachers that are like, all right, I got to find a creative moment in this little narrow gap. I get there. Right. I mean, it's better, you know, either that or you're going to find a moment to, to drink. I mean, you're better off spending that time <laughs> writing than drinking. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, that is that is probably a better choice. <laughs> yes, I would say so. <laughs> you said something that I found very interesting to read plays. Uh, I yes. do see there are certain moments uh, in Malik, especially 
um, that I'm like, boy, this would be a really great stage piece where you have him talking like the, the moments where he's walking with his advisor in the back is like kind of to where the camera would be. Yes. Like how great would those be on stage going from one side to another discuss like this actually has something there. That is something that would be interesting to play. Do you think there's any particular plays that influenced your work? Um, probably. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I, yes, the, the inspiration. Um, yeah. I, I will say, I mean, I'm, I'm an English teacher, uh, at a, at a high school, therapeutic, therapeutic high school. And I read numerous plays. Some I've read on my, um, just on my own for fun. Some I do I read for school. And I mean, it, it, it'd be nice in my lone moments of arrogance. I'm like, I read Shakespeare. It's influenced by Shakespeare, but it probably, you know, but I'm sure once again, like, like I said earlier, everything you read has influenced, influenced you in some way. There's something there in how, either how you staged, like you said, stage a panel, how you handled a, a word of dialogue. I will say that, which thinking about things like Shakespeare and Mark because for Marlowe has got, has kind of led me to having an air to kind of change the feel of the dialogue to make us feel, you know, older, a little more arcane. And you I definitely tried to do that. see that. You yes. I tried to do that, that a lot with Malik. And some of the, those turns is probably a little bit old from reading the older, uh, older plays and trying to get that, that feel to it. So I would say in, in that case, but also I would say maybe how you handle dialogue and the focus on character as being the key is more, I think um, from plays than maybe even a movie or some other genre or medium. It's refreshing, though, to see to see that change in dialogue in a comic book when you don't really expect it. When I was reading it, I was like, oh, I wonder if, if Jeff's kind of maybe uh, uh, knows more uh, like biblically these different terms that, he's, that you're pulling from. Or now we know it's from from your English background and stuff like that. And it just brings a new spice to it. It, it sort of reminds me of like if you think of like Deadwood. I don't know. Have you seen Deadwood before? The um, I know of it. I've not seen it. OK, but it, it's, it's this, this Western show that has this almost Shakespearean way of, of speaking. And you watch it because of that, not because of the Cowboys. And uh, and it's I'm I'm reading this, and I'm just like I am in this world. And a lot of it is just little phrases here and there that are like that caught me. That's really yeah, well done. I mean, definitely. And I and I, like I said, and yeah, and I do influence things such as um, uh, like you know, I've read the Old Testament, read the New Testament, read the Koran, read some you know things of that nature. Um, and I'm, I don't say I'm not inherently religious, but I do find religion fascinating. And once again, reading, I think some of the most important things you can do once again as a writer. Read the works that inspire people. Yeah. Even if you are the most hardcore atheist that there is, and I can lead agnostic atheists on either way, on, on either side, there's a there's something in the Old Testament and the New Testament, or the Torah. If you know if you don't have a New Testament, you're you know, you're a Jewish like I am, um, where you have to look at that and go, how did this inspire people? There's something about this work that has survived this many thousands of years that inspired people to die over these words. Right. What is there? Read it. Try to figure it out. It's important. It helps you later. And, and it helps in your imagery, too, because there are a couple of panels where you could tell that there is this, you know, um, when the new uh, Hamashit comes in, there's that light yes. behind him. And you're like, OK, I get it. This is definitely yes. the angel visiting image that right. we've seen in the past. And yes. uh, this time he's wearing a sword, though. So be careful. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yes. But yeah. All right. Let's go ahead. We've, we've been. Chopping at the bit, let's talk about these two comics. I'm excited to talk about them. Sounds good. Um, we'll talk about one one at a time. We'll go with with um, uh, Malik first, and then uh, let's let's get into the the protagonist, Malik. Can you explain who he is? What okay. his purpose is? Okay, so Malik, at least in my opinion, is a very complex character. Mm-hmm. Um, his existence, literally, um, um, Malik Hamashi literally means the destroying angel. Uh, my idea. What the character is, 
um, that he was the person or the entity that God sends out to just for destruction, to, to, to destroy things, to be the instrument of his wrath. All right. And I thought to myself, what is this? What kind of creature would be this thing that is pure um, wrath of for God almost? Right. And I thought to myself, first off, to be something that is that terrible and to live its life in the realm of destruction, the level of faith in its God and love for its God would have to be so strong to excuse what it's doing. Um, because it, like, to, to be something that's in many ways so bad and, and in some ways even evil, because once again, you're a, you're a destroyer, you're, you're, you exist to kill. And then I thought to myself, what would it be like for that character to lose this faith, to be put in a situation where it finally realizes that it's not the, um, that it doesn't have God's love. It's just a tool of God. And Malik, um, from this, the story from Gunmetal Black Ops, right? Yeah. Is th- that idea that uh, it's called God's sword. Uh, what happens when he realizes that he has been forsaken by God in many ways and he's not loved by God. He's just another tool in God's great arsenal of the universe. And from that point forward, it becomes Malik issue one. And as the story goes on, starts realizing a few things. First off, at least um, I, I try to express this in the story. First off, um, he comes to terms with how he feels about God. or basically, It's almost like a, a breakup. How does he feel about yeah. this thing that he loved all his life or even a parent and felt like that now suddenly it's, he's had a, it's turned his back on him or he has turned his back on the, either the love or the parent, however you want to fra- you look at it. Um, and then he starts finding certain things about himself, such as he becomes the new Lucifer at the end of God's yeah. sword. And now the question is what to do about that. Now you're becoming not only the thing that you supposedly were raised to hate the most, which is Lucifer, hell, that's your enemy. That's everything you were meant to hate, your adversary. But you also realize if you're going to have your rebellion, you must become Lucifer. Now what happens to you? One, you become the thing that you hate. And two, you find yourself getting closer to a a type of God yourself. And if your existence is based on two thinking that God is wrong, God was evil, God did these bad things. What do you do now when you realize you're not becoming that, which you also hated in God and Malik starts off. That's kind of like where I launched the idea from those dual natures of one, not wanting to be the thing that you hated, but two, in, in Lucifer, but also realizing to pursue your goal. You also need to be the thing, the other thing that you hate, which is a God that is a controller of destinies instead of being allowing things to exist. So I, I tried to create him as kind of a complex character. Maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but that was the intent. Well, you definitely see his transition, of course, physically and uh, his motivations. He starts to almost feel like he has, um, I don't know, it's its like a corrupted confidence, you know? Mm. As he's going, you kind of start to feel like, it's almost as if the numbers that are following him army-wise is kind of just boosting him a little bit more and he's starting to become more and more of this god tier, you know? Yeah. and. Uh, it's it's very I, I do like too visually you see his sword has turned green and I'm assuming once we see later on uh, uh, the another version of him uh, the sword is yellow so is this sword representing his corruption? Yeah, um, I, I I think I kind of we're talking about early influences. There's a little bit of idea of a lot of Shakespearean plays, which is once you corrupt the natural order of things, the things that exist in that natural order start themselves becoming corrupted by it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of use the same idea with with Malik. So not only will he be corrupted, but everything he is and possesses is also further corrupted by that. Uh, the sword, um, you see his hands start 
um, become more corrupt. As you see the second issue, um, the corruption becomes more closer to permanent. And if you see the God Sword, the eight issue, the eight page um, mini, you see what a fully corrupt fallen angel looks like. And he does reference it and say, I wish I, I hope I never become that. In this issue, in second issue, he starts moving towards the line of fully becoming that. Yeah. The, um, will there always be this pool of like, I was an angel, I want to, like, does he always want to return back to God's graces in a way, but yeah. still determined to take him down? I think that's true of all of us. I mean, I think this every part of us that even um, depend, you know, whether or not you view it as either a love or look at it from almost a parental uh, familiar sense, there's even when you think and you want to reject those people that were in your life, there's that little part of your brain that goes, I kind of wish I, I was back just because that's where I felt like I, I belonged because this is I want the people who who were who knew me to accept me back in. And eventually um, the first four issues are fully written. And there is a, a moment where he he thinks he can get back into back into heaven, be accepted back in, and yeah, he he wants it. He wants back in. He he wishes he could, and and then I won't spoil what happens, but that moment when he finally thinks he can get back in is the first moment in his storyline where he starts feeling at peace again. And once again, something oh. happens, and story plays out. Yeah, and there's this kind of level of you know, a uh, political drama uh, happening in hell. Yes. And it's, it's funny. Cause like he has a very determined goal and yes. it's like, this drama is just getting in the way, you know, it feels like he's like, I, I got to conquer hell so I can get to my job. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There, there, there is sort of like, uh, yeah, I got to do this little thing out of the way, which is just conquer all of hell before I can eventually face God down and be like, Hey dude, you know, you kind of screw me over. Yeah. And, and and there's yeah there's multiple um I, once again the the Dante Inferno each circle is a particular sin gluttony lust there's uh, there's the seven deadly ones obviously in Dante I only I think I only have two of them really mentioned um, you'll see one more version in the second um, issue um, but yeah he there's political intrigue there's the idea that not every devil is going to just accept you because you say you're the leader I mean right. You can't just, you know, it, the hell is to, is based on the full rules of n- natural's idea of dominance. Mm-hmm. They will follow the strongest one there is. And until you assert your authority, they not all will accept. Some will just accept you. And I just kind of right at the beginning, I said some will accept just because of who you are. But for the most part, most will make you prove that you are the authority you say you are. Because it's hell. I mean, it's they're, they're not the best people. They're, right. not, they're, not they're, gonna, they're there for a reason. <laughs> right, right, right. They're, they're not, they're not, they're not going to... Um, you know, followed because you're like the saintly guy with the wonderful speech about unity. They're they're gonna you gotta bash their heads in and force them to like you. You know. Yeah, it it almost brings into an idea of maybe of a prequel series where Lucifer's barely holding on to power himself, and you know, there's always somebody gunning for the throne. And yes, <laughs> and here this guy just shows up and is like, oh man, what a wrench. <laughs> well, <laughs> if I ever write that story, I'd be like, story co-written. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I was trying to find it. I, if I remember correctly, there's a point where he references himself and the people around him as God's toys. Is that correct? Yes. Um, he he kind he does he reference the idea that all of existence, everything that you believe as being sentient, is nothing more but playthings of God. I, I, I present very much an idea of God that is maybe partly borrowed from and I, um, some of the lines in the movie The Prophecy with Christopher Walken, a little bit from some of the early seasons of Supernatural. Mm-hmm. The idea that 
God's gross indifference to those he's created or it's created is immense. And he doesn't create, and most religions like Christianity, Judaism, um, is, is the Islamic religion views us as being chosen by God in some way to be it's like children almost, right? I'm thinking, no, you're not, it's children because God has never, doesn't love you. You are more toys. You are this thing that God uses as to express some thing that he wants to have happen. Or it's, I say he, but I, you, you, most important in the story, I have God as you as an it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't, God doesn't need a gender. He, he creates, he doesn't need a dick. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, um, totally fair. I mean, <laughs> why, it's not like he's really using it a lot. So might as well. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. So, um, so the idea is that, and, and, this, and this, as the story revolved, you figure, um, I introduced really why God would have sentient life. Mm-hmm. Um, by issue, I believe I talk about in issue five, you get a, a full sense of why God has creations, why he has sentience. Oh, um, I, I do go into it and I do kind of create a pseudo religious concept for God in the story. But um, yeah, Milek's view very much in the very cynical view is that we are playthings of God. Um, it does not love us. Okay. And then, so just to kind of wrap up the Malik uh, driving force and, and the world that he's playing in, he's, he's, uh, we could bring it. I guess I don't want to necessarily spoil the story, but it's in the first issue. Um, God sends, the sequel. He sends yes. uh, another, um, I want to get the term here, uh, Hamashit, uh, yep. to take him on. And it's just like, oh, hey, this one's a leveled up one. It's, it's bulkier and stronger and everything like that. And, and um, describe that fight and, and why you thought it was best. It, it concluded the way it did. Okay. Um, basically, the, uh, you said the, the upgrade Mashid, he his name actually means um, slave. Well, um, so while Malik means destroyer and Mashid is just like destroyer angel, his name literally means a slave angel. So God, my idea of it is that after seeing what Malik does um, and that Malik decides to take his position in hell and use it in a, in a, in a very kind of, in his opinion, in its opinion, very maliciously and in a way to attack him and have his own plans. God has determined that the best thing to do is create another Mashid that they can fully control. So he creates a Mashid version that lacks the maybe um, impulse and drive to do things. And instead will be even more compliant to what it wants. So it creates a bigger, stronger, but less, I would say, um, aware version of Malik. He's a little more of a, um, like I said, literally not a slave, but he doesn't have um, the, the ability for uh, introspection doesn't have forethought it's more of just literally the entity of destruction yeah like a golem instead of a man kind of right and i kind of wanted um malik to see an entity that represents itself um and once again there's the way it ends it ends with if you were able to read the first um eight pages of gamato black ops the lines that malik gives to his counter at the same lines lucifer gives to him right before malik kills him Right. which is basically a few lines that um, basically per, um, are trying to dissuade him or make him doubt his mission. Yeah. And Malik realizes what's good for the Lucifer is good for him. And he does the same thing um, that was done to him. And that kind of, and I tried to create um, a, a fight and kind of make a little more intellectual fight at the end. Even And there's only so many times Superman can punch another Superman in the face <laughs> that and yeah. have it be a worthwhile story. So I decided instead of making Superman punch another Superman, have him somehow pull out a victory and just by punching the crap out of him 
I would say, well, let's him ha- have him do it into intellectually. He intellectually will beat this other being that doesn't have the ability to be intellectual. And that's yeah. kind of how I decided to, to wrap up that issue. And there seems to be this, this acceptance of the new situation. It's almost like he embraces more of the devil so that he could overcome him. I, I kind of felt like he was like, oh, this is what I have to do. Was there any of that in there? Yeah, um, I, I do think there's, an, there's a, um, a sense that Malik, once again, does he does feel the pursuit that he has to defeat God because, but almost from pure anger, which I would say maybe almost a childish sense of anger, a temper tantrum. I'm going to do this. I'm angry now. You made me angry. I'm going to come get you. Such a good way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there's that little, there's a little bit of a, of a childish um, anger in there, but, and I do think I do want him to still be, have the hints of what an angel is supposed to be a little bit of that compassion in there and a little bit sense that he sees himself in the, as you said, the upgrade machine that um, he thinks himself, that is me. And, and maybe there, there is a, a moment where he maybe thinks I'm being, this is wrong of me to do to him. But once again, though, but just like God, we are the toys of God. Um, Malik starts viewing the things around him as being instruments of his um, pursuit. And once again, he is going to very much start mirroring how he views God as the story progresses. Okay, that's cool. So let's, let's focus on Malik uh, for a little bit longer. What we'll do is we'll, We'll go over visuals next in the same comic book so we don't lose anybody on sure. trying to get the stories correct since uh, different artists and stuff. No worries. Um, so the visuals, we do have a lot of like close-ups on faces and then there's always this, this play on shadow and stuff like that. One in particular that I wanted to bring up is is Gabriel. Gabriel's introduced as this, you know, holier-than-thou creature that, yes. that, you know, exudes God's strength. He even has like the flame above him. That, that right, right when you first see him, it's like a heart shape almost. It looks yes. like he's like, oh, you know, great. But then there's one moment, and he says a line I wanted to read real quick. Um, and you have been quite assiduous in the in the realm infernal. In yeah, in the realm infernal, God demands that you immediately cease your consolidation of hell. Now, what's important is his head is almost tilted forward, and you get the classic like "I'm a bad guy" look with the shadow yes. going over his face. Are we seeing that heaven doesn't always play nice? Not just in you know God's pursuits, but in general. Yeah, um, and, and I and I if we're, once again, if we're going to credit anything, that there is a similar use in Supernatural, the TV series, the idea that angels are jerks, and then <laughs> there's the same concept used as well. If you ever see the movie The Prophecy with Christopher Walken, um, mm-hmm. there's definitely some lines, not only from walking, but how Simon views the humans as well. That definitely shows an arrogance in angels. There's there's they if once again if you're going to be held up as being something so pure. I can't help the thing that purity also comes with arrogance and within, and also when you think too about who do they serve a God that creates a hell and a loose for all these things, they can't be good creatures. There's gotta be some sort of cynical darker aspect to them. And I do think anything that tries so hard to be that good, there's gotta be a certain level of just narcissism underneath that, that has to come out from time to time. And Gabriel is, very much one of the most narcissistic, um, arrogant little craps, I think, in, yeah. in the, that guy came out with in the story. And I, I think he does voice, what uh, once again, a view of what kind of God would have these things. Uh, it's a creature of, in many ways, a spiteful little creature as well. Yeah. He, he does a really great job of, of, when you first see the character, of course, he looks, he's got, you know, almost rounder cheeks. It almost feels like he's got these rounder cheeks and almost just kind of like a, I'm here to save you, Malik. Yes. <laughs> this kind of thing. And then after that panel, every shot of him afterwards is this kind of like big grin. This like 
Oh, I'm the jock in high school kind of grin. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'll, I'll say, I mean, the, the, the artist did um, a, a phenomenal job. Excellent, yeah. Um, that, that's one of those times where, once again, there's a few moments in there that is me saying, I want the smirk. You know, I like the smirk. Yeah. But there's moments and angles and shadows that is all the artist. And once again, he does a phenomenal job with it. Where did you find the artist? And, and, and what is the artist's name that does this book? Um, the artist was actually found by Phoebe. Uh, she connected me with the artist and it's Phoebe who I kind of talked the artist through. Um, she does a good job of kind of taking what I say um, and, and probably explaining it to him in a way that um, makes more sense. <laughs> and it, it's a good go between us. So is Phoebe kind of uh, a source to find artists to create work? Like does is Phoebe who helps with the uh, Santa Claus as well? Um, Santa Claus um, was, was mine. Um, I, I got um, um, Joe on my own, Joe Wong. Okay. Uh, but Phoebe, once again, as the owner of One Two Three Go um, Publications, does does get the artists involved. Like Chris McCauley, who did the coloring for um, Malik. Once again, that's Phoebe who who, who uh, put Chris on board. Uh, Phoebe actually does the lettering, but uh, she does a good job of finding artists who's willing to not only work well, but work well within the confines of a very indie comic book, which once again is obviously financial. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, I was lucky that when I did, um, God sword and for God's metal, uh, uh, uh black metal, um, sorry, gun metal black ops. Uh, she was able to find me the artist cause I didn't have one at the time. I just gave a script, mm-hmm. um, which was unusual because usually she wanted only full teams but for the script that I had, she was willing to get me the artist. Uh, I, you spoke about coloring and I wanted to make sure to bring that up because there were some really bright choices here. When you think of hell, you would assume fire and brimstone. But we have, um, for example, when he's when he's visiting um, Gluttony, there's a lot of purples used and he has like green gums and yellow teeth. What was the decision behind that? Um, once again, um, that was a lot of, on Chris McAuley. Um, I, okay. I will say, okay. well, I'm able to set up the, um, the, the panels and kind of give a sense what I want on that. I don't I'm very bad with coloring. I'm a very bad coloring. Sense, so I never very rarely ever mentioned colors except for things like you need the yellow light of God here. This has to exist, things of that mm-hmm. nature. But when I discussed gluttony, I wanted something very grotesque. Yes. And the green to me, it's very much like a sense of almost like bile there, mm-hmm. something that's so gross and disgusting. Even purple has like a weird pussy kind of like bruising look to it. And I think that's what he's going for, making it look as grotesque as possible. And the idea of like this purpley, bruisey looking thing with the mucusy skin color. I think it's just perfect for the character. Really is. I, that's one thing I was was wondering is because his saliva and everything like that is this green, and it kind of reminds me of like acid, like eats away at things, like mm. gluttony, never yes. ending eating away at things. So it was just like you say so much with just the color choice, you know, and it's stuff yeah. like that. So I mean, I mean Chris, uh, Chris McCauley, he he is awesome. He does a lot of work now with um, Baker uh, Stoker, um, the credit production company again. So he's doing a lot of work. Um, Stoker is, I think, the great nephew or of Bram Stoker. So he's doing a lot of work with that. And he is, and the fact that he's willing to do all that and still do the colors for Malik is um, a great thing. And I think in Chris, we, we, I owe a lot to Chris and so does, I think uh, one, two, three go. There's a lot of choices here, uh, guys. I want you guys to make sure to pick up this comic book because camera angles and everything like that, you get this good mix of kind of like a game of Thrones, epic scene <laughs> and judge dread fights. And it's just this really cool mix. And I just, I love it uh, a whole bunch. Where can people pick up Malik, uh, Raining Devil? All right. Right now it's available on Indie Planet. 
So check out Indie Planet. I think digital the digital version of it's like a dollar. The hard copy version is a little more money than that. Um, you can, I mean, also, also I'm sure if you go to 123 Go on Facebook, I'm sure uh, Phoebe has copies to sell as well. Hopefully one day we get back into conventions and you can buy it oh. off my table. But for now, unfortunately, uh, Indie Planet is the way to go. And I'm going and I'm moving it towards Comixology as well, probably within the next three or four months. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I'm chopping at the bit to get back to those conventions. That's yes. <laughs> that'd yes. Be good. I, I would like that income back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, let's go ahead and get into Santa Claus. Yes. Um, this was definitely a setting up a world, it feels like. Um, can you break down the name of the main character? It's not Santa Claus no. <laughs> necessarily. Can you break down? Uh, his story and what he's going through. All right, so the the main character you have Jeremy. He's he's, he's a kid. Basically, um, Malik is written for, definitely for an adult audience. Santa Claus is written for a younger audience. Um, I'm not gonna. I don't I don't know if it's best to give an age group, but you're looking at under probably 15 years of age. It's it, it's a it's a kids book, and Jeremy is very much a kid. Um, Jeremy is a kid who's very also maybe um, self extremely self absorbed as most children are. Right. Um, very um, oblivious to the needs of those around him, including his mother, uh, who's a um, very much a, is a single mother. Um, and Working Jeremy, multiple jobs, and it's right. a tough life. And here he's wanting toys and stuff. Right, right. And 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 the thing about Jeremy is that he doesn't appreciate what it takes to support a family. His mother is working multiple jobs, and his response to it is, are you going to get another job then to do this? He, the, the concept of the work and the effort and the need to just have her life it doesn't exist for him. He wants his gifts, especially because his friend, best friend has a cool gift, and his only thought is, I want what he has. And it's a selfish motive, but he's a selfish child. Yeah. Um, he is, and, I mean, and in some ways, maybe I think a lot of us as children who it's like, I mean, do you really pay close attention to what it took for your parents to buy that gift for you. Exactly. Yeah. You know, then he's like, well, you know, my father had to not buy this for himself so he could afford me, you know, my new human attorney set. No, I didn't care. I didn't think about that. I mean, my only thought was, are, are there any more figures behind the tree that I, that are there that I'm not seeing right now? You know, can right, I get those right. too? Yeah. You know, um, that's and just children. I mean, you have a very, they live, they haven't lived a very long life. They understand. They don't understand how the world works. Their entire world is them. And that's Jeremy. His world is him. And um, his mother, you know, I think I hopefully um, show that loved him, loves him very much and is struggling with the fact that she can't provide him what he wishes he could have and what she wishes she could give to him. Because once again, I, I, I don't she, she's a good mother, in my opinion. I try to write her as, you know, in the very few panels that she's in, she, she's yeah. a good, loving mother who wants to provide for the kid. But reality is just reality. It's not there. The money, money, you can't just make money happen. It doesn't appear. Right. Um, and unfortunately, the real world sucks. <laughs> um, well, and it appears that she's, I mean, this might be, is she pregnant as well? Um, it, it, it was, um, the, the artist had the idea that to make her a little more pregnant. Yeah, to appear which, pregnant. Which, but, but it was a good choice because then it also puts a clock on all of this. Yeah. It's like ex expenses now are, are tough, but we also have, you know, an increase in expenses coming soon. Right, right, right. So and, and, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure. I mean, I, I never go into like where's the father, but uh, right, right, he's not there. And yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I guess she had. I, mean, I don't know. The kid could be from a different father. It doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. Right. The, the, the point is, um, she she she's under some hard luck, and unfortunately, he's out. But 
he can't handle the fact that he's not going to have a Christmas. He can't handle the fact that he just learned that Santa Claus is not going to come rushing in and save the day and give him a bunch of crap like you see in the movies, which right. is kind of why I wrote the story. The whole idea is my annoyance at every Christmas movie, the happiness comes from when the gifts arrive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, no matter how good the movie is, no matter how many people do the right thing and happiness happens, it's not truly happy until the gift happens at the end where the Santa comes in, waves you know, his hand and some gifts show up under the tree and say, like, hey, now I'm happy. I got my crap. Exactly. Like, well, so magic. And where's real life at? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I was like, you know, it can't just be happy when the gift arrives. It should have been the happy moment was before that. Mm-hmm. When, you know, with the family, reunite the family, whatever good thing you did is where the happiness could have ended. And I kind of had that idea with Jeremy, which is um, him having to, he's going to have to realize happiness does not come when the gift arrives. It was happiness was at the table when his mother came to him and tried to talk to him. How many kids even have that in their life where they have a mother who cares enough to sit them down and say, you know, this is what I'm trying to do for you. I'm working these jobs for you. And I wish to God I could give you these gifts, but I can't. And is actually home trying to really connect with him like that. Not everyone even has that. Jeremy should be lucky with what he has. That's kind of where that part of the story comes from. Yeah. So uh, we then see him on the streets and he gets approached by. It's this. (laughs) <laughs> very unique sled yes <laughs> essentially a limousine and yes. uh, rolls down the window and stranger style we have santa claus it's like need a ride kid <laughs> yeah i mean I, I kind of had the idea of like the old man in like the van with the candy like come in yeah. my van kid so he, inside the car he has all the toys he would want all the video game systems that he could possibly want yeah and and, and the lim- and you know and then and then beautiful um you know car flying car and once again, it's the idea of like luxury. You know, he's not going to wear some, drive some crappy little sled. This is about luxury. It's about the idea that everything that when you come with Santa Claus, everything will be wonderful. He's the yeah. best of everything. Best vehicle, best ride, best toys in the car. He's the guy who has it all. He's, and I guess maybe if you want to borrow like Willy Wonka, he's got it all, you know? <laughs> and um, yeah, so, and Jeremy is once, once that he, he doesn't care, you know, who the Santa Claus is. He knows the idea of Santa Claus doesn't care that his mom's going to miss him and you know what's going to happen if he never returns what he sees is i want those games i want them now and that's enough you know that's enough for him so uh do you is it okay if we spoil what happens in this comic book because it feels like it might be a while before we get the next one so i want people to go get it um it'll be a year for the second one yes yeah okay so we won't say necessarily what happens all the way at the end so people can go and check it out for themselves yes but needless to say it's not great. This is not the Polar Express where he's going to yes. go and get a bell. It's not that. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's very much a horror story, story for children. Yeah. Uh, this was, you know, in the 90s, maybe this would be, um, are you afraid of the dark kind of show? Or yeah. uh, maybe Goosebumps version of Santa Claus. Um, obviously, I'm not making this um, Halloween or Nightmare, for, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street because it's for kids. But Santa Claus is a bad dude. That's why the claws are spelled like claws of an animal. So I have claws like Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's very clever. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it works. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny, but uh, it's silly, but whatever. Um, yeah, he's a bad dude. The reindeers are bad dudes. The, you know, it, it's, everything is a twist on what Santa Claus is usually presented as. It's, it's, it's a I, dark twist. I love the term. The reindeers are bad dudes, and I'm literally looking at the panel of the one that's got the swastika on his and an eye patch, which is like, okay, let's give him a couple evil things. Yeah, you, you know, you only have so many pages, and I, and I, and I will admit, um, 
that came from <laughs> the artist taking me a little literally. Uh, when, 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 when I presented the idea of the reindeer to, to Joe, I was like, well, the reindeer are like Nazi reindeer, you know, and it kind of like the visual with the Nazi. He went full, he went full Nazi. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. They're Nazis. I don't care. Yeah. Let's be a little more. We'll, we'll, we'll be on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and it's perfect because this one's Blitzen. So it's like, yes. that is quite the German name. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. And, and the eye patch, you know, like why go for one evil thing? You know, yeah. so he's an evil Nazi pirate. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> it works. But yeah, that, that, that was Joe taking me a little literally. But once I saw, I was like, sure, it works. Oh, it's, it's, it's a good, it's definitely an eye catcher. That's for yes. sure. Um, the other thing too, that's a, it's a real eye catcher that, that they did a great job with, that Joe did a great job with. The teeth of Santa. I mean, it's right yes. away. It tells you like this is not the guy. <laughs> this right, is not right, great. Right. That that is, is, is a nice like the teeth, the sharp teeth, the kind of like and the shitty grin that he has. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I mean, once again, it's a way to say in, in a very short period of time all you need to say about a character. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend you know five pages explaining why that the reindeer are bad. There's a swastika there. He's bad. You know, it's like yeah. it, it, the connection takes like two seconds to make that yeah. connection. <laughs> Even if you're a kid, you know it probably when you see a symbol like that is. You probably even at nine or ten, you probably have seen it before. You think that's bad. Yeah. So you see, you see the sharp teeth. Even as a little kid, you go, "That's probably not good." You know, it's probably not. It looks like Sam's going to eat the kid. It's not a good right. thing. It looks like he's about to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, a question for you. Uh, with with yeah, Joe on this one and, and Juan on the last one. Did they do the lettering themselves as well? Um, Joe did the lettering for um Santa Claus. Phoebe did the lettering on Malik. Okay. Uh. The the bubbles in Malik, for example, I found very interesting because they actually had a drop shadow on them, which I don't think I've seen before. Uh, was that something that the artist decided to do, or or you had them do that? Oh, that's uh, that's definitely um, Phoebe. Okay, that was yeah. I, I just thought it was very unique and I hadn't seen that before, and it made them like pop more. Yeah, um, it was really cool. And then this one in particular has one where, um, of course, I'm assuming it's supposed to be. It's like under his breath where he's like, ha ha ha, good Santa, you know, right. being evil. But they did a great job of like making the bubble red. And the lettering white and black, and it was just this really cool, like, yeah, contrast. <laughs> it just yeah, the, really pops it, off the page. You know, every so often when you're on with a good, um, a good artist or a good letterer, they do things that you don't expect, and it and it and it, it makes it all just better. And yeah, you know, and I think that's when you just trust the talent. Yeah. Um, you know, I always say about lettering, you often don't recognize lettering unless it's bad but at the same time sometimes you really do notice it when it's good uh, when it's in between you, you never pay attention to it but i think db did it so you you notice it and joe i think did it as well mm -hmm. yeah there were definitely panels that i, I saw stood and these are like very you know the modern type types panels where this one's bolder than this one and you have characters that are breaking their panels to really yeah. you know show the best of them and stuff like that and it, and it just it really does a really good job there's one where you know they pull up to santa's castle really it's not a village it's a yes. <laughs> very dracula style castle and um it's this whole panel thing and they got just the eyes of of jeremy and you know it's just these really eye-catching moments and, and they did a really good great job for that so it's all yeah. to the um i, I got very artist. lucky with Excellent. joe <laughs> i got yeah. very lucky with joe and anyone who wants to use them for their work wait till issue two is done <laughs> he's a good one yeah. to go with but don't but distract him <laughs> until issue two is done he's off limits god damn it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how many more issues are you planning on doing in this story? Um, Santa Claus is uh, Santa Claus is going to be a two issue series. Okay. Um, number two, we're three pages in completed into the artwork. The goal is to get it done and released for Christmas okay. uh, this year. Um, will that happen? I hope to God it does. The first issue missed it by a couple of months, unfortunately. <laughs> so it, it was a uh, February uh, Christmas comic. Uh, hopefully, this one hits uh, right uh, uh, right in December. 
Are you going to be doing physical copies for this? Like if you do like maybe both together as one big physical book? Um, yeah, um, there definitely will be physical copies of issues uh, one and two. Issues one already has them. I mean, once again, if conventions ever happen, <laughs> they'll right. show up. It's true. Um, and eventually, yeah, I will have a complete one, uh, two issue uh, trade where they're combined. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's a goal eventually. But the thing about being in indie, you kind of hope to make some money on the first one before you get into for the second one. So, oh, yeah. those, but uh, eventually, yeah, it's, um, it, it's going to be a two, uh, two issue series. Each one is about like 20, 22 pages. Yeah. Um, if I'm I'm putting you on the spot now, Jeff. If you want to come back on for that that last one, we'll do a big thing. We'll we'll uh, we'll uh, get some copies out to everybody or to a few people do giveaway. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be awesome. And um, and uh, we'll buy some physical copies for around here, and that'd be really good. <laughs> I, I, I would I would absolutely love that. I mean, um, I, 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 I there's nothing more a writer loves to do than talk about themselves what they've done. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah we're uh, writers are nothing if not vain. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and, and you know what? It's just it's fun to talk about comics. So as a podcaster, it's always fun to talk about comics. So we went to. There's definitely nothing wrong on that. Indeed. Uh, okay, so yeah, we could we could try to. Hopefully, this comes out by next year as well. You guys can get some of these images. I mean, I'm going through them right now just to kind of bring it back to me. Santa is clearly an evil dude. I love yes, it. He is. <laughs> Such a good job. <laughs> um, and the story, I like how fast paced both stories actually were. Like Malik, you were just like boom, boom, boom. You know, one page, you're you're fighting a new sin and. It's just moving so quick. Um, you maybe had a, a quick respite to, to check with the assistant whether that went good or bad. <laughs> no spoilers there, but yeah. Um, and then even with the Santa, the Santa Claus one, uh, Jeremy's no dummy. He realizes yes. quickly that hey, things aren't right, and he starts to do his own plans. Um, and so I'm excited to see where both these characters go. And uh, really great leads, uh, excellent writing all around. I, I will say um, for um, if you. Keep an eye on the wish, the, the the wish room. The wish room is the keys to, to the story. Um, oh, and I and I think it will be important to keep in mind um, the idea of wish. Um, early on, he's wishing for toys. Yeah, which is by the end of the second issue, what is he w- wishing to have then? Yeah, and that's the well, key. yeah, you could kind of see in one of these panels. You know, he's surrounded by toys, so everything he's always wanted, but yet that's not what's in the orb. Yeah, and so um, it's yes. very, it's very well done. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> Where can, uh, okay, so you're saying that we can get the other one from Indie uh, Planet. Is that where we can get Santa Claus as well? Yes, Indie Planet and uh, eventually Comixology, but right now Indie Planet. Okay. When you go to Comixology, um, I used to use it back when, now now Marvel and DC have their own, but is there a way to find under, oh, there's Jeff Haas's page and we can find yeah, other comics? Um, right now, uh, Nightmare Patrol is on Comixology. So you, you type in Jeff Haas and Nightmare Patrol will pop up. Um, eventually you're going to have Malik on there. Eventually you're going to have, um, Santa Claus. Once we figure out the, uh, um, uh, they're, 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 is very anal about its, um, type of what they're going to allow. And not, not from a story standpoint, but from pixel counts and a certain level of, um, the shape of the length of pages, things of that nature. And we're trying to, and uh, we're trying to make Santa Claus fit into what they want for their, um, uh, their comic book. I mean, like I said, we're yeah. pixel counts and everything else. So we're working on that. Um, it's, I think it will happen. They do accept the story. It's just a question of formatting. Um, so it will be on Comixology. Malik eventually will be on Comixology as well. Do do that's a good because they're owned by Amazon. So you know you got yes. you assume that there's like kind of that big business part of it things. But uh, do they typically have a problem with story or is it just basically like 
No hate speech kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure. They never rejected anything of mine, so I don't know if they ever had an issue. They're with cool with gore, guys. I'm gonna give you a heads yeah. up then. <laughs> okay. Um, they're cool with gore. They're cool with violence. They're yeah. cool with. Um, I think they're cool with nudity. Though I haven't had any of my issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they're cool with swearing. They are not cool with a cover price. Oh, interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. So, so if you have a cover with the price of your rejected. So once again, like Santa Claus and Malik, we have to we've had to go back in and try to uh, edit out pricing. So yeah, nudity, swearing, uh, murder, good, cover price, bad. <laughs> Those Jeff Bezos standards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, where can people find you online if they want to get a hold of you? Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. What, what do right. we got for the handles? Um, basically, you can find me anywhere. Uh, Facebook, just Jeff Haas. You can also find um the. My Facebook group um, for Nightmare Patrol has one. Um, Sanctus has one as well, which is the uh, graphic novel that I that I worked on. One Two Three Go has one as well. Um, for if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me under Vector um, underscore Comics. Also, there's Malik. Um, this Raining Devil has one as well. Um, you can also find me under J House Interviews. Um, I do public relations for a uh, another podcast called Spoiler Country. Uh, where we do interviews of people as well. Um, and J-House interviews is more directly direct to Spoiler Country, but it also has all the links to Malik and has the links to, to uh, Vector Comic Book. So if you want to find me, maybe find just J-House interviews first, then connect to all the links. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like so uh, we're going to have the, the links in the description, guys. It'll be the first thing you see. Uh, we're going to have the links to this. We're also going to have the links to uh, your page on Indie Planet. Um, and then later on, guys, if you guys listen listen to this podcast later in the month of April, probably um, we'll have a we'll have a link to a new Kickstarter, correct? Yeah, um, issue two of Malik is going to have a Kickstarter. I will say for those interested, the production of the comic book is almost complete. Um, the Kickstarter is actually almost closer to a Tom McFarland Kickstarter, where you're basically. Most of it, I think when he was releasing like, like the toys and some of the stuff he did, it's almost complete, but then he's kickstarting the the sales and everything else. Right. Um, our issue is mostly complete. We're asking for a little bit to finish up and also for production of printing and things of that nature. Um, that will be in April and it will run, I think, like 30 days or it'll either be April or being May, depending on uh, Phoebe, but it's going to be within the next probably 30 days is my guess. Okay. Well, we'll make sure days. you guys keep an eye on the socials and we'll make sure you guys know. Um, yeah, that's a good way to do it because then it's kind of immediate, like, Hey, here's the work. This is just yeah. a way to basically pre-order your comic. And, and, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah. And I, and I, that's probably gonna be the closer way to a lot of what indie comics will do, which is, mm-hmm. um, whether or not they're making it or starting from scratch to get the money first one, you prove that you already completed the issue that's there for them, or you will, you're, you're on the verge of cleaning it and it's there for them. But, um, at least that they'll have faith, especially if they don't know you or your brand very well. If you're right. saying if you're a nobody, um, and I at the moment I'm probably in that realm of nobody at the moment too. You're trying to make people, you're promising to people you're gonna make a produce this comic book that they're paying you for. Right. Um, if you never if they've never done that with you before, and you and you can't prove that you've done it. You don't have anything to show. Yeah, it's, it's a hard sell for somebody. You know, trust me. I'm gonna give me all your money. I will make this comic book. You know, I promise you. It's like, well, yeah, do it. Then I'll pay you for your. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a weird world to think you'll be paid before you 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 complete anything, you know. So mm-hmm. ours is virtually complete. I think we're missing lettering. We're missing the um, I think ten pages of art of coloring. I mean, but most of it has been penciled. There's basic outlines there, and we're we're asking literally to be kickstarted. Yeah, 
you know, for, for, for the for the remainder. Yeah, but the the creation part is done. It's just finalizing. That's Indeed. Perfect. All right, guys. Uh, make sure you guys follow the links in the description. Join Jeff uh, and his endeavors, and uh, I, I'm excited to see what's to come. Uh, that, that's Santa Claus one. I'm hoping to have you back. We're gonna make <laughs> sure that you certainly will. People learn the news, the the real Santa. <laughs> exactly, and yes, don't trust Santa Claus. Don't trust man breaks <laughs> your house. Exactly. <laughs> you don't have a, ch- a chimney. How did he get in there? He's got the keys. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> He's been stalking you your entire life. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jeff. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. All right, guys. We'll see you guys throughout the week, y'all. Be safe and have fun. Bye.